Hello, this is Dr. John Peebles. Thank you for joining me in this high-altitude conversation where we have the chance to talk to the decision-makers, the people at the top, the chairman and the chief executives who've made the decisions that affect our organisations and indeed often our very way of life. I hope that listening to them and their thoughts as they articulate problem and solution provides something to reflect on and perhaps utilise or model in your own management style or approach. These people are recognised as our top problem solvers and the one feature they all have in common is recognised management success in organisations of substance. Our guest today is a man who was born in the form of Burma to Indian parents. He spent his child in Kathmandu and Hong Kong where his business career began. His grandfather, who started life as an accountancy clerk in Burma, began the family dynasty when he started his own company three years after that initial job. Two generations on, our guest runs the New Zealand arm of that enterprise, a significant part of the family business, with the next generation in the wings preparing to carry it on. And the business runs with sustainability and longevity to the fore. Our guest completed a degree in business administration in Southern California and came to New Zealand for the first time on honeymoon with his wife. They both loved the country and vowed to make it their home in both residency and business. Today, our guest can be described as a business owner, a property investor, an entrepreneur, a philanthropist, and a practicing environmental advocate. One of the few hotel owners and developers based in New Zealand, he's a sought-after speaker in tourism and won the prestigious Environmental Tourism Award in 2017. Under his direction, Sedema Hotels and Resorts now includes three properties from Auckland in the north to Christchurch in the south, with four new properties under construction and one of those in the tourist town of Kaikoura. All of the group's hotels have been rated bronze to gold for accessibility, as you'd expect from a be accessible business leader. With a community-focused ethos and an emphasis on sustainability, this is an industry leader who's a strong advocate of diversity and inclusion, and who also provides free breakfasts for school children. Sudesh Janjamila, welcome to High Altitude, and thank you for joining us today. Morning, John. Good morning. So cast your thoughts back to Burma, if you would, please, and your early childhood. I mean, do you remember much of it at all? I left Burma when I was six years old. Uh, and now that I think, I, when I look back and I think about my life there, I realize that uh, it was not normal. Um, you know, we used to live in a in three streets. I, I mean, all the Indians from our part of India used to live in those three streets. And it was like our small village within Burma, within Rangoon. So it was an Indian community. With, and from our, our part of India. So right. it was all, everyone knew each other. We could walk into anyone's house and knew, you know, call the uncle, aunt. And right. <laughs> it's like, um, and not only that, uh, even when I used to go to my dad's office, which was two streets down, there was a very casual atmosphere. There would be board games. Uh, and, you know, dad and his friends would be playing chess or Scrabble or... <laughs> Uh, that's because our business got taken away by the military junta. Right. So there was nothing for him to do, and uh, that's how they used to spend their time. Was that just a surprise? To, did they just walk in and take it over? Yes, and that happened in '62 when military junta pretty much walked in and took away. We had two textile mills in uh, Burma. Right. And both of them got nationalized. And so your father, what did, what did he do? What was his reaction? I mean, he couldn't have played board games all day. Well, uh, I don't know. I should ask him one of these days. You know? 
So, so we left Burma in '68, but you know, it was uh, till then. I mean, you can't really go to the military junta and say, "Hey, we want our, Put our back. property back." Yes. Yeah. Um, was it easy to get out of Burma in '20? Do you know? Um, I can't. Uh, you know, I know it. It was difficult to get out. Uh, and what happened was, my dad had to get a job in India. Uh, you know, at one of his uh, cousins. Right. And then once he moved to India, that's when he called the rest of the family, saying, "You know, my." my family needs to come and join me. Right. And that's how we moved out. And so what was he doing in India when he went back? Oh, he didn't. We were in India just for a week, and then we moved to Kathmandu. Right. So so it was a pretty, it was just a, a way of getting out of uh, Burma itself. Yes, that's And great. then moving on. So Kathmandu? Yes. Brought up there as a child? Yes, I, was, I spent... Um, Seven years there, right. you know, wore a sweater first time ever because right. <laughs> Burma being a tropical country didn't need a sweater. Right. First time saw mountains, snow-covered peaks. Right. They didn't play cricket there. And, and they did. But they, not very well. Not very well, yeah. <laughs> So how did you find yourself then getting on to Southern California and doing a business degree? What was the next bit? So uh, we moved to Hong Kong in 1976. Right. And I joined a British school there. And when we were in uh, Form 6 and 7, uh, the careers counselor would come and ask all my friends, you know, what's your, you know, what are you doing for uh, as a next step? You know, where, where are you applying? And, you know, that got me thinking. Right. And till then, uh, all my cousins and my brother had finished the high school and joined the family business. So I thought, you know, that's the pathway for me. Right. Uh, but once the, all these questions came up, I thought, like, you know, let me investigate so I did my SATs and, you know, the required tests needed to apply for U.S. universities. And then I applied to University of Southern, Southern California and I got in. And, you know, uh, there it was. <laughs> and so you, you, you had how long in Southern California studying? I, I was there for three years and uh, I was the first person in my family, as in our clan, to get a, a university degree. You were the first they must be very very proud of you then. I yeah, think. I don't yeah. think anyone remembers that except for me. <laughs> Look, talk a little bit about the family business from then because you obviously did you have a name at the end of the degree to go into the family business? Uh, yes. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was uh, I was never tempted to stay behind in US and work right. because, uh, you know, bringing up, uh, I always, uh, you know, we always think of doing the business and so being entrepreneurs. It was expected. Yes. Uh, is it still expected for the yes. family? Yes, it is. Uh, right. I mean, you might go and work outside for a year or two to get some work experience, but uh, eventually... But the family business is the dominant theme coming through it? Yeah. Oh, even if you want to start your own business. It's, but uh, but it's all around uh, right. being entrepreneur and going out and doing a business. And is, when you come to that, it's a bit, I mean, it's a bit like being a business entrepreneur, isn't it? Because... The family, I take it, supports you into something, but you develop the business yourself. That's correct. And does that breed entrepreneurs rather than universities, do you think? <laughs> uh, I think, you know, if you, are, uh, if you are brought up with that mindset that, hey, you know, uh, this is your path, you know, this is uh, what everyone in the family does and this is what's expected. Right. Um, you know, no matter what. So like my brother, he did an electrical engineering degree, but he's still, 
and family business. So what does he do in the family business? Is he, <laughs> he's forgotten the electrical engineering side of it, I take it. Yeah, I, I got him to, I gave him a radio to repair one day and he couldn't repair that. <laughs> <laughs> so his electrical engineering's long gone, I take yeah. it, has it? Yes. And how's the structure of the family business work internationally then? So um, at present, uh, we have uh, three uh, main offices. Right. So New Zealand, which I look after here, Right. Uh, and our business here is uh, hotel, hotels and property investments. Right. And then Hong Kong, which is the head office, that's where my dad and my brother, one of my brother, they uh, sit there. Right. Uh, we, our family business in the past has always been watch manufacturing. Right. So they still continue with the watch manufacturing along with some trading businesses and right. um, and more around managing the whole, uh, you know, uh, group portfolio. Right. Uh, and then... In Singapore, one of my brothers sits there, and he is involved in uh, commodity trading. So he trades in agricultural commodities, uh, logs, and uh, pharmaceuticals. Apart from that, he also has developed, a, uh, built a factory in uh, Burma to build plywood, and then a factory in Vietnam to do, make rubber wood furniture. So he, it's very diverse, isn't it? It is, it is. Uh, and so is it traded globally? Most of these things are traded globally? Yes, that's correct. How big is the watchmaking business than the starting, the core for it? Oh, look, um, in the past it was very big. Uh, I remember there were years when we used to export over a million watches in a year. Good grief. Uh, uh, so if I want my next Rolex, can I come to you or is that... Uh, uh, <laughs> What sort of watches? Is it your own brand or are you doing it for people? It's uh, OEM. So we normally do it for people. So right. uh, our customers from world over would come in and they'd say, this is my brand. And can you? And they'd pick designs and say, can you make this for... So you'd make up the design and actually do it. And Yeah. Is the watchmaking business moved on much? I mean, it used to be all self, you know, either winding and then self-winding and and then, of course, goes to battery power and then it's gone beyond that. So where's it going today? Is it still um, got a future? Look, it's still got a future, but, uh, you know, as uh, those smartwatches are coming in, right. like uh, from what I understand, Apple's uh, watch has become the single biggest selling watch today in the world. That's amazing, isn't it? So, uh, you know, it's it's going to worry. I mean, those who keep their head in the sand thinking, yeah, you know, it's not going to come in. Uh, it is going to come in in a big way and affect our market. Right. And... Will you be able to switch across to watches that actually then link into some of those products? And I'm sure my brother is looking after that. Uh, you know, he must be thinking, what next? <laughs> so, New Zealand, you it's obviously been a catalyst for you and your wife to come here, and you came here on your honeymoon. What on earth made you pick this for a honeymoon? <laughs> um, it was a decision because uh, that was made out of, uh, you know, we were looking at the map and thinking, what's the place where we wouldn't go on business? <laughs> <laughs> so we thought, okay, America, you know, we'd definitely be going on business. Europe, yes. Middle East, yes. Um, Africa, we didn't consider. But, right. you know, then we thought Australia, New Zealand, yes, you know, uh, probably will not be going there for business anytime right. soon. So it's like a pin in New Zealand. Yes. <laughs> and how long were you here on that? Uh, we landed in Christchurch and we drove around... Uh, New Zealand for two weeks right. uh, and went down to uh, Milford Sound, TNR, and, you know, all the way up north to Auckland and then right. flew out. So. so you did the best scenery first and then came up north, did you? Yeah. Um, and so you made the decision to move here. How did you discuss that? Did it just arise or did you both just sort of say, let's come here? No, um, 
what has happened is uh, over the years, our family has been investing in New Zealand. Right. And in 1991, my dad came here and he started buying some investment properties. Right. And he bought um, quite a few landmark properties which uh, were rented out. So we were just collecting rent on it. Uh, but that portfolio was owned by my dad and his brothers. Right. And in year 2000, my dad bought that portfolio off his brothers and we became, our family branch became the owner of the New Zealand portfolio. Right. Um, and then as we dug deeper, we realized that it's a huge portfolio and sitting in Hong Kong, we cannot really manage it. So it was decided that one person has to come down here. So you got elected. You, well, I have fond memories of New Zealand, uh, <laughs> having spent my honeymoon here. So, right. you know, me and my wife, we decided to move down to New Zealand. How did your wife take it when you first said to her, I think we're moving to New Zealand? Well, she was, uh, I mean, I didn't just, I think it was more, uh, she was more worried about around education and right. uh, everything. So first thing we did was uh, find sc good school. I mean, came here. Uh, did a bit of uh, tour around New Zealand with our kids and looked at schools. Right. First, we got our kids into school. Uh, you right. know, that kind of takes care of the pressure of the family. Right. And then, you know, when you move here, you know that uh, everyone is settled in. So how many children have you got? I've got three daughters. And uh, so two of them are married. And I've got a granddaughter as well. So they're, they're, and are they settled happily all in New Zealand or have they moved? No, the elder two uh, who are married, uh, they live in Hong Kong and Singapore. Right. So part of, Still involved in the family? Uh, not our family, but their own family business. Yeah, that's it's amazing, isn't it? Yes. So the tradition of building and, and running a family business has been bred literally into, <laughs> into the line, has it? It is, it is. It's, uh, it's quite amazing. So when you came here... You, how did you focus on hospitality and hotels? Um, well, I, when I came here, I had to first fix our port, property portfolio. Is that managed under the Hind brand, is it? Yeah, so no. Hind Properties is what uh, owned all the hotel, uh, all the investment properties. Right. And we had uh, some properties which were half vacant, uh, some properties which were going to become vacant. And so my first... Uh, you know, a job was to fill them up, to manage them and bring them back up to, uh, you know, capacity. And then, right. uh, but at the same time, uh, because our family always had a hotel in Singapore, which we had sold in year 2000. So, you know, my dad was missing a hotel. So we bought a hotel in Christchurch. <laughs> which one did he buy? He bought the, uh, it, back then it was called Airport Plaza, right. which, uh, you know, uh, it's also uh People fondly remember as uh, remember it as White Heron and Travel Lodge and right. it's had various incarnations. Right. So we bought that, and um, it was initially managed by a Grand Chancellor, uh, and then in two thousand and seven we changed it to Sudima. Right, and you took over. It was so it was under contract management at that stage. Yes. Was it affected by the earthquake at all? No, we didn't get affected by the earthquake. Uh, but uh, what happened was eventually when we did the. Uh, seismic rating of the hotel, we found that some of the older wings were below the minimum required seismic rating. Right. So we had to strengthen those wings. And so we took the opportunity to actually uh, demolish a wing and build a whole new wing out there and new reception and modernize the whole hotel. So it's right up to scratch today. And yes. It's, is that your biggest of the hotels in New Zealand? It's, uh, no, uh, Rotorua is the biggest hotel with 250 rooms. Uh, Christchurch uh, now has 242 rooms. When we bought it in 2000, it had 153 rooms. Right. So we've added quite a few rooms to it yes. since then. And how, Rotorua, how did you move to Rotorua then? Uh, 
You oh. picked the tourist centre. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in year 2004, the same uh, seller who sold us the uh, Christchurch Hotel was selling his Rotorua Hotel. Right. So uh, we approached him and we bought that hotel off him. Right. Um, back then it was called Lake Plaza Hotel. Yes. And then, uh, like I said, in 2007, we decided to merge everything and brand it under a common umbrella of Sudima Hotels. What does Sudima mean? In, in, um... it's, it's, Sudima is a combination, uh, a name that my uh, elder brother came up with. Right. And we were, you know, as we were splitting from my other part of uh, my uncle's businesses and everything, where everything is, is known as Hind Properties, Hind Group, Hind Corporation. Right. Um, back in Hong Kong. So we wanted to create our own identity. Your own brand out here. Yes. Uh, well, even in Hong Kong. So right. that's where Sudima is a combination of my name and my brother's and sister's name. Uh, kind of, uh, you know, we made something up. <laughs> so your brothers and sisters are still in there with you. And, yes. Uh, and so now you moved into Auckland as well, didn't you? And, yes. And, and bought a hotel in Auckland? No. So what happened was in year 2008, uh, once we centralized everything, we decided, uh, you know, uh, tourism is growing so uh, there's an opportunity at the airport uh, which I found you know wasn't served too well with the right. hotels so we, we bought some land near the airport and we had to build a hotel and my target was to have it ready before the Rugby World Cup in 2011 which right. we did. And so that's been going now for what seven or eight years? Yes uh, eight years now. And it's going well? It's going really well. And you pick up a lot of the tourist traffic that comes through, or the overnight traffic that comes through from the airport? So uh, it's a bit of everything. Right. Uh, there's the airline crew, the pilots, right. the the disrupt, uh, you know, the cancel flights, right. uh, the first nights, last night. And airport now has changed whereby there's so many uh, uh, big companies out there who bring people in and they need uh, accommodation as and well. And so you have conferences out there as well, yes. I take it. Mm. So the three hotels are owned. Yes. And you've got more under construction. Now, That's where, correct. where are you constructing? So we are building one in Christchurch City, and that will be ready in May uh, this year. Uh, we It's a boutique five-star hotel uh, of 86 rooms. Right. And then we are building one in Auckland CBD, which will be ready. And it's across the road from Convention Center. Right, so that'd be boutique again? No, that's a standard four and a half star hotel. Right. Um, but it will be, uh, it will have the latest, uh, you know, uh, we are putting a bit of emphasis on the food and beverage outlet, trying to activate the ground floor in a better way. Right. Um, so you'll have a. Get traffic through that ground floor. Yes. And then have a rooftop bar, and it will have 194 rooms. It's still a pretty good size, isn't it? Yes. Uh, um, and uh, construction all running on time and on plan, and. Uh, touch wood, touch yes. Wood. <laughs> and, and no major no major disruptions in that at this stage. Not, not at this stage. Right. And where are the other two then? I know the one at Kaikoura. Let's talk about Kaikoura last, but where's the other one then? So we are building a. a like, uh, well, so there's uh, one in Kaikoura, and apart from that, there's a last one which is not yet announced, so I can't really. <laughs> right, okay, but that's coming, so yes. we should watch this space. Yeah. And Kaikoura, talk to us about Kaikoura and what you decide to do there, because that's a, that's a destination that most people would have written off, I would have thought, as a, uh, as a hotel. Well, um, what happened was about uh, a year ago, we got approached by a, by a syndication out of Christchurch who were looking at building a hotel in Kaikoura and they needed someone to manage it. So there's a group of investors who are looking for uh, someone to 
manage a hotel and they went to the market and all the big multinationals did apply, put in their bids, uh, mm-hmm. uh, expressions of interest, but we won the, uh, they liked our expre- uh, uh, proposal the best. So we came in and we're, we're also taking a small shareholding in that uh, hotel now. Right. So we are going to uh, not only manage it, we also have a small stake and uh, manage, I mean, to, but ever since we've announced that hotel, the amount of publicity we've gotten is quite amazing. So you're getting bookings already, I suspect. Oh, look, we've got so many uh, travel agents. Uh, right. to, because what happens is there's a lot of traffic passing through Kaikura. And, but because there's no hotel, they, don't, they can't stay. Right. So now if they have an option to stay, it's a beautiful place. Uh, Kaikura, whenever I go there, I just feel like spending a couple of days there. But I can't because there's no hotel there. <laughs> so you have to move on. Yes. <laughs> so have you got other destinations you're thinking of? Um, I would like to be in uh, Queenstown and Wellington. I think those two are the main uh, right. ones which are missing on our portfolio. So if you, what size do you think the portfolio will come to eventually? Have you got a view of where you want to take it? Eventually, if I have, uh, I mean, after this development, where, uh, where, whereby by the end of next year, I hope to have seven hotels, right. um, I think that will give me enough visibility in New Zealand that I can move on to the Pacific Islands and Australia. Right. and continue our growth there. Right. Pacific Islands is a bit of a, over the years, been a bit of a death trap for everybody building hotels, though, hasn't it? Particularly, I think of some of the ones that I've driven past that seem to be abandoned partway through. Um, have you got a target where you'd like to be? Um, I I find that Suva is not well served with hotels. Right. Um, I'm, I'm not fond of resorts because they rely on tourism and tourism alone. Right. Whereas... Uh, a destination that's uh, got multiple factors. Uh, so it has to have business and travel and other things associated with it yeah. to make it a balanced, because uh, resorts do take a hammering, don't they, if there's a problem? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So Suva, I feel, has a better chance for, uh, you know, uh, for a hotel. Than... What If you look ahead, I mean, tourism obviously is a part of what you do. What percentage of tourism do you think of in your, in your, in your portfolio? I mean, you must. I mean, we're talking about business being there an essential piece, but tourism must be a part of it, is it? Uh, sorry, I don't. In, in terms of of the target market that you're looking at, tourism is uh, because, like Rotorua, is purely purely tourism, tourism. Uh, and be it domestic or international. Right. Uh, there's some conference uh, business that goes in there. Right. Uh, but Rotorua is purely tourism. Uh, Auckland and Christchurch, they still have to. I mean. They ha- still have to rely on some tourism, right? Uh, apart from the corporates and. Uh, but otherwise, it's a corporate type thing, and and then there'll be contractual arrangements. I take it you'll make with airlines and other people. And that's which, correct. Which will be important to you. Um, you, you. Having you know, having looked at hotels and spent a lot of time in them, in New Zealand, are you critical of uh, how we handle them in a New Zealand culture? No, actually, what I find is it's like. Uh, you know, like uh, we have uh, our, uh, the culture in New Zealand is to be professional and friendly. Right. And we don't become overbearing. Like, you know, in some of the Asian hotels, you know, <laughs> it, it, it can get very overbearing or, you know, there are too many staff who are standing around chatting with themselves and right. forgetting about the guests. Right. So, uh, but I think, you know, uh, we 
that's our point of difference as well. Right. You actively get in and manage them, I take it. Are you the only family member in New Zealand who keeps an eye on it, or have you got other members of the family floating watching it? Well, I, I'm the only one, but my wife and my daughter keep me in uh, <laughs> the <laughs> They keep an eye on it. So you get around the hotels regularly, all of them. Yes. And the property portfolio is still here as well, I take it? And yes. Still... Uh, so we still got two investment properties, which are large industrial uh, right. holdings with long-term leases. Right. So... They give us a good cash flow. Right now, you've you know you've got a bit of reputation as an environmentalist. Um, so, are we as pristine as uh, as we think we are in New Zealand? Oh, we definitely are. But that's because um, you know we are size of uh, United Kingdom, right? But uh, with less than five million in population, and I think that's the reason why we've remained pristine. Right. Uh, if we had 55, 60 million, I don't know what the how we would look. Uh, like, you know, in Auckland, you can drive for half an hour and you'll be in countryside. Right. And whereas in uh, Christchurch, maybe it's 15 minutes drive and you'll right. be in countryside. <laughs> yes, because so. yes. one of my American clients says that the only reason we're pristine and clean and green is because we have a high rainfall and it washes us down. <laughs> Are there things we need to watch to look after for our environmental side? Oh, definitely. We need to be, uh, we need to not take things for granted. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, we can't just uh, keep, polluting and you know reduce we have to take that lead in the world and to show that hey you know we do care about our environment like New Zealand uh, tourism always had that uh, low symbol of 100% uh, pure right um, and that is now uh, they've dropped that but I believe that's a very good um, you know uh, good aspiration a, a good aspiration and and it's something that if we keep um, you know, if we don't look at our environment, like our rivers, and you know, I don't need to tell you what right. what what's the condition of our rivers. Right. Uh, it's it it's not going to. Uh, I mean, it's not visible because they are not in the main tourist destinations. Right, but it's there. It's there. Yeah. So, you know, the hotels that I've called in, where the people worry about the environment. They talk about the towels and um, reusing them, I think, or something, and uh, uh, and you know, don't spend too long in the in the shower. Basically, apart from that, what does a hotel do to to look at self environmentally? Oh, we look at our practices. So, like uh, one of the pledge uh, our team has done is to be single use plastic free by twenty twenty. Right. So, uh, not only that, even the you know how we. Uh, dispose of uh, how we recycle, how we, uh, you know, so like when we, the uh, the garbage collection company, the, sorry, the the waste collection company that comes to collect our waste, we actually go to the depot to see that, yes, they are composting the food, they are recycling, just to make sure that uh, it's not just word, we've taken their word for it. Right. So, so it's it, actually physically done. Yes. And do you separate out that in the waste for them? Uh, no, because... Um, the the waste collection agency is more efficient at doing that. Right, so they do it, and and you just and and you just keep them monitoring on, yes. on that. Is there anything with water or anything like that at all that you worry about? Um, we like in uh, in Auckland, we have uh, we harvest our rainwater, right, and we use that for uh, irrigation and uh, you know for the to- so separate separate uh, set up for that ra- yeah. rather than uh, using mainstream water. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And going, I mean, going ahead in Kaikoura, are there any special elements you had to look at in Kaikoura? Um, in Kaikoura, we are right on the ocean front. So I'm sure, you know, there'll be, apart from the earthquake, you know, building a nice, uh, 
strong building, which, well, the fact that it meets current code right. will mean that it's a, a strong Pretty building. Strong. <laughs> uh, apart from that, just making sure that uh, we future-proof with in terms of the salt spray and the corrosion that comes with the being right on the ocean front. Right. And then also bringing in the cultural aspect of Kaikura. So we are working very closely with the EV to, uh, to, and they're pro going to provide some artwork and things like that and have a storyboard right. within the hotel uh, which talks about the local EV. Right, because some of the um, places, I think Novotel in, in Auckland was built with with one of the uh, uh, Maori groups, wasn't it? Um, Tainui, if I That's recall correct. correctly. And have you thought of doing any of those sort of things on the way through? Well, um, one of the things we, we've come to realize is that over the years, we've been growing orga organically. Right. Um, and to have a faster growth, we will need to eventually take in outside investors. Right. Um, it's Do something separate company type things off to one side? Yeah. So like, uh, you know, the pr example is Kaikura where... You know, it's uh, we are part one of the investors in there, but it's uh, it'll be managed under Sudima. So. Right. So, with your if something you know, have you got a family member coming up behind you who's keeping an eye on you and and getting ready to take over at some stage in the future? <laughs> well, my daughter is uh, my youngest one. She is uh, really keen. <laughs> <laughs> and is she qualified to done some work offshore? And she uh, she. Went to University of Southern California where I'd studied as well, right. and now she's looking at doing MBA. So she's still, but what you know, what she was interested in was to work in different departments of the hotel. Right. Yes. So uh, she, uh, even before going to university, she did the breakfast shift whereby she used to end up in the hotel at 5 a.m. to set up the breakfast, buffet breakfast, and and you know from there she moved to the front office and. You know, has been through a few uh, departments in the hotel. Mm. So she's getting to the stage where she can just about be let loose. On the <laughs> Tell me, if, if you look at the hotel industry in New Zealand and tourism and the fact that it's still growing, and probably now our biggest, I think it's our biggest export earner, isn't it, if I recall correctly? It's, and that's correct. Um, so where can it go? Where does it go? It's, um, it is a long-term, uh, I mean, any industry you cannot, rely on one season or two season, it has to be a long-term growth and a sustainable growth. Right. So we have to be careful of attracting the right kind of people, attracting the, and, and creating that right, um, you know, uh, selling ourselves in a right way so that people keep coming here. Right. And uh, that's where the Ministry of Tourism, the uh, TIA, which is the uh, tourism out here, uh, they have to work hard and keep pushing that message out that this is New Zealand, please come. Um, because without that, if we start, um, if we are no longer the flavor of the month, uh, internationally we can lose a lot of tourism. Mm -hmm. Do you have a, a philosophy in managing hotels that you, you like people to, to follow, a sort of a, uh, a corporate th sort of um, notebook, if you like, that says, you know, <laughs> these are the things you have to do? Yeah, so we have, um, uh, you know, we have three values. Uh, well, more than three, but the three main values are that we have to look after our guests. We have to look after our people. So that's the my employees. And we have to look after the local community where the hotel operates in. Right. Uh, so that's a corporate social responsibility. Well, based around, you know, 
if we are allowed to survive in society by by society's permission, we should therefore give something back. Is is that sort of philosophy we're talking about? Yes, uh, you can't be uh, you can't be in a bubble and pretend that nothing you know exists around my hotel <laughs> boundary. Right. If you if you want to prosper and have that sustainable business, you have to interact with the local community. You have to be part of the local community. You'd be big employers of the local, would, would you? That's correct. How many staff would you, would you account for? At present, uh, we have over 400 staff. Right. And will that grow, do you think, considerably? Yes. Uh, by the end of next year, we, I think, uh, God forbid, we'll have about 700 staff. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that increases your problems multi- multiple times, doesn't it, of course? Um, in, when you look at it, I mean, you've obviously been pretty interested in young people over the time and you've taken a real interest in that. Is there a future for young people in the hotel industry? Oh, yes. Uh, you, you know, uh, tourism, uh, hotel industry is uh, very can be very fulfilling for the right kind of people. Right. Um, and it will take you places and you'll meet the, you know, you have to be outgoing. You have to be, you have to have that public, face you know you have to be able to face the public right and uh, if you if you are that kind of a person you'll meet so many interesting people and no two days are same because you are interacting with new guests all the time new experiences is technology um, impacting on you at all it is uh, because um, you know the gone are the days of uh, uh, you know travel agents and now everything is coming through online right. there is still uh, some travel agent um, business but that's going down rapidly right. there's more and more online bookings coming in so they book directly they book directly or book through the third-party websites like booking.com or what if right and we've seen a bit of discussion about those booking sites recently haven't yes we? yes are they multiplying or are they uh, are they easy to deal with uh, they are i mean they are unf- unfortunately they are necessary evil so we have to partner <laughs> with them i'd like to get as many bookings as we can direct because right. uh, they do charge a pr- quite a hefty commission Right, uh, but uh, that's a good way of marketing ourselves where we can't get into. Right, in the hotel business, is the is the money in the accommodation or in the food or in the beverage? Which where does it fit? Uh, money is in the food. Uh, sorry, <laughs> money is in the accommodation. In the accommodation. Yeah. Uh, when I was growing up, I used to think the money is in the food and beverage. Right. Uh, but it's not because it's uh, you know uh, the kind of uh, overheads that are required to run a restaurant or a bar are quite shocking. So when you see somebody selling a beer for $10, uh, that person isn't, that buyer isn't making much. Mm. So it's it's got a very low margin, has it? That's that correct. Area, right. And of course, you've got to keep quite a staff on 24-7 to cover all that stuff off, yes. haven't you? Yes. But the accommodation, and what sort of, you know, what sort of accommodation, do you have a, an accommodation sort of percentage you'll go looking for? What, what's the ideal? Um, it it really depends on the the quality of the accommodation that you're offering. Right. right. Uh, but on average, uh, if you can, uh, if you if your turnover is like sixty percent of your turnover is between sixty to seventy percent of your turnover is coming from accommodation. That's the because that's your higher profit margin mm-hmm. turnover. Right. In the in the manage, is it difficult to manage? I mean, you manage hotels, don't you? Really, so is it difficult to manage them? You manage them through people. Is it difficult? No, it's not because uh, what you do is you send your uh, you you set your culture right for to begin with, right? And after that, uh, you know, the these are professional people who who have got professional 
qualifications to manage hotels. Right. So the my managers, they've worked their way from, some of them have worked their way from being porter up to a hotel manager. Right. So they've, you know, they they are fully ingrained in how a hotel is run. Right. And uh, and so that kind of experience where they know each and every department of the hotel. Uh, so I don't step in and try to manage a hotel myself on a day-to-day basis. It's done by the professionals. So you, but you have certain key things you'd keep your eye on. That's and correct. Would watch and and I take it the reports come into you on a weekly basis. Too, oh, right? daily basis. Daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. The hospitality training, is most of that done in New Zealand? That's correct. So uh, we have some very good hospitality school. Uh, There's one in uh, New Plymouth. There's one in Queenstown. Uh, Our AUT also has a very good uh, catering school. Uh, Apart from that, the specialty school, which will teach you how to make coffee or be a good bartender. Right. So, uh, but most of, a lot of these uh, graduates eventually end up going overseas. And they go and get experience offshore and then come back? Some of them do come back, uh, but uh, but you'll find world over that uh, New Zealanders are uh, regarded quite well uh, in hospitality industry. What do they have that makes them um, of interest to people? Again, I think uh, you know, um, just that friendly, professional uh, attitude to work. Right. So now, how much of your time do you spend in New Zealand nowadays? Are you perm- permanently here? Yes, I've well, I've been. I moved here in two thousand and one. So you regard yourself as New Zealander, obviously, don't yeah, you? Yes, yeah, yeah. which I've, you are. Yes, I've got a New Zealand passport. <laughs> well, me and my whole family has a New Zealand passport. They're all New Zealand passports. Yes. Well done. Um, come back to the to the the Rotorua one, and this, you know, obviously you saw some social elements down there in the children. What did you pick up when you? So uh, what happened was we found out about this local school, which uh, uh, which had. Uh, kids turning up uh, without having had breakfast. Right. And the school couldn't do anything because they didn't have funds. So we decided, this was about five years ago, we decided to start supplying them breakfast, uh, provide them, providing them bre- with breakfast. And we've been doing it since then. And uh, on a daily basis, we feed about 50 children. Uh, every day? Every day. Right, for breakfast. Then. Yes. Does that, does that help their learning process? I'm sure it does because, you know, empty stomachs, I mean, <laughs> you, you, you can't, can't study on empty can't stomach. Study, you can't concentrate if you're hungry. And the schools have been a good partner in that? Yes. Uh, they've, I mean, th- obviously, because they couldn't, um, they didn't have funds to uh, do that. Right. So, uh, whatever we can do, I mean, we don't like to go around with advertising about this part of thing, but because this is really local social mm. work that we are doing. It's something that's associated with your business in Rotorua. That's, uh, and it's our ethos that we right. look after the local community that we Should are. other businesses be doing that, do you think? Uh, I'm sure they are. And if they are not, I would encourage them to do it because right. it's uh, very rewarding. It's, uh, uh, it gets a full buy-in from all our staff. Right. If you're looking at young New Zealanders, should they be thinking seriously of hospitality as a career? Yes, uh, they should be. And what we do is, as part of uh, encouraging uh, encouraging them, we go to schools and tertiary colleges right. and talk about uh, what the pathways are there, what different uh, fields that they can go in uh, tourism, right. um, and and explain. And qu- if they want, uh, they we do site visits in, to our hotel. We bring them in, show them you know different departments, right. just to encourage them to nurture them because. Uh, that's if good people join in, 
uh, that's good for the whole of the industry. Right. Would you, I mean, do the, does anyone offer cadetships or things like that? Or does... We do offer internships. So like if somebody is studying in uh, New Plymouth at the um, uh, hospitality school and if they want to come and work in the summer, the whole of hotel industry actually you know, goes headhunting there because if we get Over a good cadet, period, yeah. uh, if we get a good cadet coming in right. and he can, if he likes your hotel, I mean, there's a chance that he'll, after graduation, he'll come back he'll and work come for back you. In. Yes. And so is there any specific training you'd recommend apart from those three hospitality schools? No, um, apart from, well, depends on which direction you want to go into. Right. So if you are looking at management side, uh, you know, being the front office, if you're looking at finance, then obviously a finance degree is more important right. uh, or HR. And so, you know, those schools really offer more of management side of things. Right. So what, what's the next move for you then? Where do you go from here? <laughs> Can I retire now? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, too early for you to retire. You probably won't retire, will you? No, I. Uh, my dad is eighty. He just turned eighty, and he's still actively. He's involved still actively in involved. Business. Does he still go to the office every morning? Yes, he does, and uh, he still gets my reports. And he calls me up and says, "Hey, you know what's happening here?" And yeah. So we still consult. He still him. watches the margin fairly yeah. closely, yeah. does he? He does. Excellent. Oh, look, thank you so much for being with us this morning, Sush. No. I really appreciate no, it. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for joining me and my guest in this high-altitude conversation. If you enjoyed the show, please share this with your C-suite colleagues and rate the show on iTunes if you will. In the meantime, go well.